Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from the past. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. Now, today's story is by one of our all-time favorite storytellers, Melina Williams-Hawes. Among other things, Melina has a story in the Risk book you should definitely check out. But what you're about to hear was recorded live at a Risk show in 2014, and in the years that followed, Melina went on to do something else, something truly extraordinary, with more or less some of these same story in Incidents. She worked with the truly genius avant-garde classical composer Georg Friedrich Haas, to whom she's now married, on creating a music and spoken word piece called Hyena. And now this is a work of art on a whole other level. You should definitely go to YouTube and search for Hyena World Premiere to see and hear some of that version. It's mesmerizing. Anyway, without further ado, here's the version that Melina first shared with us in 2014 in a story we call Animal. Hi, my name is Melina. I'm an alcoholic. Do none of you know what you say next? Thank you. I was not one of those pretty polite alcoholics. I was the pissed the bed, wake up day after day in a blackout, drinking a pint of whiskey in the morning to get to the point where I was not shaking so badly that I could not get dressed and then go to work. I was severely addicted to alcohol. Everyone around me knew it, and I knew it for the last three years I was an alcoholic, but I did not give a fuck until the morning that I almost died and wound up in the ER and said, okay, fine, I need some help. And friends got me into the only free medically supervised alcohol detox. So I don't know if you guys know this, but alcohol detox is the only one that cold turkey has an 80% chance of having a severe complication. If you put 100 crackheads and 100 heroin people and 100 alcoholics cold turkey on an island for a week, at the end of the week you'd have 100 pissed off crackheads. <laughs> 100 really annoyed, skinny heroin people and 90 alcoholics, because 10 of us would have died of seizures. I was in rehab with uh, homeless people, with prisoners, with one spoiled rich girl from Marin, <laughs> whose daddy had pulled her funding after the last two stints in fancy rehab. The first night I was there, I was passed out on my bed and sweating like a horse. No one tells you that detox is a horrible, terrible thing. And as I'm laying in this bed on this cot on this mattress, it's covered in plastic just in case I piss or shit the bed, which is likely when you're detoxing, the floor started to bubble. And I started to wash it because what the fuck else do I have to do? And over the course of the next few hours, days, minutes, I don't fucking know how long it is, the bubble in the floor starts getting bigger, like the carpet is coming up. And I'm looking at it going, this is exciting. <laughs> and it gets dark outside and I'm laying and the nurses come in to give me meds every couple of hours and check my vitals and they walk right over the hump as though it's not there. And I'm not gonna say anything because I don't wanna be uncool. 
2, 3 a.m., the hump is now three or four feet high in the middle of my room in the detox, and suddenly it starts crumbling apart as though it were made of dirt or sand or something very friable, and in the middle of the hump was a four-foot-tall, smelly hyena, breathing and looking at me, and I'm not telling you that I was dreaming, I'm telling you that there was a hyena in my room that came out of the floor and looked at me and said, hi, I'm Bubbles. And you need to get up out of here and go and get a drink right now. And I said, you know, I thought that pink elephants was the thing you got. I saw the Disney cartoon. They were on parade, they were quite whimsical. This was in fact a stinky hyena breathing in my face and explaining to me that I needed to get up out of there and leave and go and drink. And I said to her, hey, um, I don't wanna do that. We almost died, you see, and we're in rehab and I think actually leaving to drink is exactly what we shouldn't do. And she started pacing and screaming and howling. And hyenas are not polite animals. <laughs> They do not sit and explain to you. They scream at the top of their lungs and tell you why you need to get up and go. You've proven you could do it. You admitted you were an alcoholic. That's great. You know what would be so awesome right now is a pint of Jack Daniels. Everything would feel so much better if you just went out and drank it. Just go and get it. It's right up the street. You don't have to stay here. You're not locked in. It's okay. You're brave and strong and awesome. Let's get the Jack Daniels. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. And this was the conversation that I had for the next seven hours. And then by the time the sun came up, she kind of crawled under the bed. I went to the nurse's station, had breakfast, went to a meeting. We had three meetings a day in rehab, because what the fuck else do you have to do? And every time I went back to my room, she would come slithering out from under the bed and put her paws on the edge of my pillow and say, wow, you made it through another afternoon. That's great. Can we have some whiskey now? And by the fourth day of this, I said, well, I should probably mention this to my counselor. And I said, so, hey, is it natural to have hallucinations while you're detoxing? And she said, oh, yeah, you wouldn't believe some of the shit I hear. I'm like, like animals? She says, animals, people, the dead people, all kinds of stuff. And I said, but they're hallucinations, right? They're not solid, right? You can't touch them, right? So if there was something that was there that you could touch, that would be, she said, just keep taking your meds. And I did. And this was a three-week program, and by the end of the third week, I was pretty convinced that I was having a psychotic break, that I had lost my mind, that I was not gonna spend the rest of my life talking to this four-foot-tall hyena whose one purpose in life was to kill us, to drink again. And she never got quiet, and she never gave up. At the end of the third week, I'd called some friends to see if I could get some help packing up and going home. And they wanted me to go to a halfway house because they said, your situation is pretty extreme. You're going to need some help. And I said, I have to go back. I have cats. I need to feed them. My friends can't take care of them forever. I need to get a job. And the counselor said, you need more help. It's not going to be safe for you to go out there in the state that you're in. And I packed my bag that last day, put away my stuff, said goodbye to the heroin people and the crackheads, attended my last meeting, took the elevator downstairs and walked out into the sun and to my left, just out of the periphery of my vision, was this hyena. 
and I could see her in broad daylight, and she was not going anywhere. And we walked across Market Street and up Valencia Street, and past three liquor stores. I made sure to cross the street so I was not on the same side of them as when I went home. I figured that at some point she'd go away, it would stop, and I would go to meetings, and other alcoholics would say shit like, you need to be careful and vigilant about your alcoholism, because when you're in here in this meeting, your addiction is out there in the parking lot doing push-ups and getting stronger, man. And I'm sitting there going, my addiction is under my chair, chewing at my feet. It's kind of cool that yours gives you a break sometimes. How delightful for you. And I spent the next year and a half visualizing night after night, taking a lead pipe in my hands and beating the fuck out of this creature, this foul, filthy, disgusting beast who wanted to pull us apart with booze and despair. And she would laugh, because hyenas are tough. And I don't know if any of you have seen you know, National Geographic, fucking any special on any animal in the animal kingdom, and they can take you from rooting for the zebra to rooting for the lion in show to show to show, but I tell you, you have not seen a show that has presented hyenas as charming, wonderful creatures. <laughs> Never. And so, because I'm a very much in my head person, sort of researching hyenas, did you know that 10% of a hyena's body weight is in its heart? That'd be the equivalent of a 200-pound person having a 20-pound heart. They can run forever. They can consume every part of an animal and derive nutrition from all of it. They are fierce. Female hyenas are oftentimes almost twice as big as the males and they have a pseudopenis that they make the subordinate hyenas sniff. Smell my dick, bitches! <laughs> they are a strictly matriarchal clan. The women run shit. The women give birth through the pseudopenis. It'd be the equivalent of a man giving birth through his dick. <laughs> These are not animals to fuck with. And I started telling this story to people because I was too afraid that if I didn't tell someone, I was going to lose my mind. And I assumed that someone would say to me, bitch, get some help. And the first person I told was a therapist. And I said, I'm not doing that thing at a party where a doctor says, oh, hey, you know, you're a doctor. Can you help me with my problem? But I said, let me just tell you this thing. And if you think that I'm crazy and I need help, I'll go get help. And I told my friend, so I have this hyena. She appeared in my detox. And we hang out now. And I try to kill her. And she said, what is your process like with this animal? And we talked about it, and she said, actually, there's a form of therapy, a gestalt therapy, where you remove your shadow self. And I finally said, so do I need help? Am I crazy? She says, no, you've actually saved yourself a lot of money in therapy bills. Just keep talking. Don't do what she says, but just keep talking. I talked to my woo pagan friends who were like, oh, you're doing shadow work with you. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> I talked to a friend of mine who was a rabbi. I figured if there's any pragmatic spiritual leader, a rabbi will just be like, honey, I got a number four great therapist. And I told her the stories I'm telling it to you, and what she said to me was, how remarkable for you to have an opportunity to see yourself so clearly. That's a gift. I was riding on the Crosstown bus one day, and it was about a year and a half into this struggle, and I'd had my morning fight with her. And I had this sudden sensation of her being in front of me again. And I looked her in the eye and I said, for the first time in a year and a half, what do you want? And I saw her little shiny black eyes blink and say, I want you to love me. And I'm thinking, I can't do that. You're gross. <laughs> 
and you tried to kill us, so that's not very nice. And then I said, okay, well, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can at least embrace this creature. And so when I did, I realized that what I had felt was a part of myself that I had taken so much pain and effort to push away that I was destroying a piece of myself. This wasn't some alien creature. This wasn't some demon. And I had taken to calling her that my demon, but it wasn't. It was just me. And when I looked at myself and I said, okay, you know what? Let's see if we can maybe love this creature. I realized I, I couldn't, but I could at least try to tolerate her. And so I spent time just thinking about what it meant to be that terrified and that scared and that alone. It's not good to let your id run the show because your id does a lot of things like drink when it's freaked out and drink when it's happy and drink, 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 drink until you're a fucking addict. But when you embrace the parts of you that are really terrifying and really ugly, you start to realize that those parts also have power. And because I'm a storyteller, I figured I wanted to tell this story to other people. But I was afraid because what do you say to someone, hi, nice to meet you, so <laughs> you'd never guess who my imaginary friend is. And she's not imaginary. And so to remind myself of the reality of what was happening to me, I got a tattoo, which I have to this day, of course, still, which is a hyena. It's funny because you don't see hyena tattoos ever, but everyone knows who she is when I show them this ink. And I was in Sweden earlier this year and was asked out on a date by a lovely, crazy Swedish boy who was uh, about 28, so substantially younger than me. So I was like, I am in the cougar zone. <laughs> High-fiving myself on Twitter, I was like, I'm fucking someone 15 years younger than me. Get some. <laughs> and we spent the day out on a lovely date and we were um, about to go into the subway and he had his arms around me from behind he was just at that perfect height where he could nibble on the back of my neck and do that super sexy thing and so I was like oh that's really hot and he's nibbling on my neck and then suddenly out of nowhere he gives me one of these kind of growly things, which seems contrived and lame and stupid. Like, people do that all the time, like, sex beast. And it's not sexy. But at that moment, on that fucking escalator, suddenly it was as though the skin of my back had been slipped away, and it wasn't me responding to his growling. It was my friend. And she woke up with her ears perked forward and said, who is that? Who is that? He's very interesting. And mind you, he's Swedish and they have all kinds of fascinating belief systems. So when I had told him later in the evening as we were making out and getting kind of hot and heavy that I was kind of turned on in this kind of feral way, he said, well, maybe I'd like to meet your demon. And I said, well, maybe you will. And as we started kissing and making out and fucking, at one point he was biting me on the neck really hard, which as a masochist and as a sexual deviant and pervert turns me on a lot. 
And the biting intensified into this biting and scratching and clawing to the point where he had the flesh of my hips squeezed so tightly that I could feel it was going to leave a bruise. And all I could think was, I hope that bruise lasts forever because this feels so fucking good. And the biting intensified to this biting and scraping and scratching. And I felt as though the teeth in my head started to get a little bigger. And I knew I needed to bite him back. And I looked at him and he looked at me and took his forearm and shoved it into my mouth and said, go ahead, take it. And as I continued to make eye contact with him and pulled back my lips and sank my teeth into his arm, my entire body's center and weight shifted and I could see him see us and see me and not just me and us, but also this creature that I had rejected. And the next few hours of him inside me and around me and us together and fucking in a way that involved not just two human beings fucking in a bed in Stockholm, but some sort of creature fucking another creature who was so proud and delighted to be seen and not just seen, but accepted in all of the smelly ugliness and all of the destructive beauty and all of the huge, fierce, hot-blooded heat that I let go in a way I had never let go before. In spring in Sweden, the sun sets for about two hours between 2 and 4 a.m. and it gets twilight and then the sun comes back up. And we spent that time together alternately cuddling and alternately biting and scratching the shit out of each other. And it was us in a cave that we had created. And I had never felt safer and more seen in my life. And this creature, this ugly, smelly, disgusting, horrible demon that had tried very hard to kill us, laid there with him, seen and present and alive, and loved this person in a way that awed me. And I realized that this was another part of myself that I needed to get in touch with. This demon, this fierceness, as terrifying as it was, was also terrifying because of the power it contained. And he saw that and accepted it and fucked the shit out of it, <laughs> which is never a bad thing. And as the day finally broke and we had to eventually go our separate ways, my heart kind of broke. Not my heart. I've had plenty of one-night stands. I know how to fucking walk away. She doesn't. She still misses this guy so terribly. The part of me that wants to be seen, the part of me that fears being rejected because of the ugliness, because of the pain, she still wants that person. And now I know that rejecting that aspect of myself, that part that destroys and tears and shreds, but also that has the biggest heart, Destruction's not the point. The point is integration. The point is being able to find someone who can have you and hold you and your demon and see it all and love it and fuck it and embrace it and consume it and then hold it while the sun never quite sets. Thank you. That is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.